0: Hey everybody, this is So Heidi and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts, and this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode seven of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Gia, a fashion freelancer who's worked with huge names like North Face and Columbia Sportswear, as well as small startup brands. Her eye for technical design and product development, plus her friendly personality and hardworking attitude is why most of her freelance gigs have fallen right into her lap. In this interview, Gia and I chat about why your network is the best resource for new work, why it's okay to charge premium prices, and creative ways to break into the industry without going to fashion school and starting with no experience.
1: At some point, it's like, I think instead of being in debt for the rest of your life with these gigantic student loans, um, there's an alternative. If you're interested in the industry and you don't have the means, and you don't want to take out student loans and you know, you you just want to get started now and learn. There's a, a ton, I think, of small domestic factories that are getting more and more business each day, and this would be a great place to learn and be paid for being. <laughs>
0: Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you you can help the show out and make it easier for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you'd take sixty seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com/review to leave your rating. Thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com/seven. Now on to the interview with Gia. Why don't you start out with just introducing yourself and giving us a quick background on how you got into fashion and started working in the industry?
1: Sure. My name is Gia Whitney Stanfill. Um, I live in Portland, Oregon, and I think I've kind of been working in the apparel industry most of my life. I started out in high school um, working retail. I worked in a shoe store, and then out of high school, I started working in um, a junior's clothing store. And I just, you know, i got gotten to college and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do, but I knew I had a little creativity and a little business sense. And so someone said, well, why don't you go into like fashion or like fashion design or fashion apparel? And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not really a designer. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm more of a business person. They're like, well, I think they have a degree for that. So um, here I am with the fashion merchandising degree. And I got out of college and, again, wasn't sure what I wanted to do and applied for a job for a merchandising assistant, which actually turned out to be a product development assistant. So I went from the retail side of things, um, sort of wanting to maybe go into buying or um, retail management, and I ended up completely just by happenstance on the manufacturing side. And I've been in product development and technical design ever since, and that was a really long time ago. <laughs> I don't want to tell you how old I am.
0: That's okay. That's okay. Um, I promise not to ask any questions about your young age. <laughs> <That's> okay. <laughs> um, so, a lot of people, when they think about the fashion world, they think fashion design, right? And you do. Um, I, mean, I think you do a little bit of design, but you do this other space with technical design and product development. So a, a lot of people I've heard, like they're like, I didn't even know what a technical designer was, or I didn't even know that that type of job existed. So tell us a little bit about what does a technical designer do? What does a product developer do? And like, why is that role important for brands?
1: It's so important. Um, it's really a liaison between a lot of different departments. And I had no idea. I think in college, you're not really exposed to sort of the depth and breadth of jobs that there are in the apparel industry. You just think, oh, you're a buyer or a fashion designer. There are so many jobs. Um, product developers, we're kind of the, the middleman or middlewoman between the designer or the creative director and the factory. Um, we're actually, so the designer is like the architect and the product developer or the technical designer is like the engineer. So it's a fantastic job for somebody if you are maybe not super creative, or you're not you're not really sure you want to do design, but you have some creativity about you and you have a really good business sense. It's a it's a great job for someone like that. Um, it sort of merges the two worlds. Um, you're you're working a lot in. Um, initial design reviews. Um, You're sitting there with your design staff, you're probably your sourcing person, um, and people are asking you about, well, hey, you know, this is what we have an idea for this particular style, um, and we're going to place it in our factory in Taiwan. What do you think their capabilities are? And you're sort of the person that's the The go-to for um, construction, for how something's going to drape on a body, um, costing. You're kind of sort of um, expected to, in your head, work out the initial cost of a garment and um, what's feasible and what's not in terms of the design and trims. Um, And then you're working directly with the factory. You're sending a tech pack. You're sending maybe a flat sketch or construction details to the factory and sort of going back and forth with them for the development season getting prototypes fitting the prototypes making comments um adjusting things all along the way and you're uh, you're continuing to work with design and sourcing and maybe your logistics people on um, classifying the garments what is this garment what is the the duty rate that's Uh, coming in. And I'm just giving like a broad overview. There's so much more that goes into it. It's a very dynamic job.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, we all think I shouldn't say we all, but a lot of people think, oh, you have this beautiful idea and then it just like magically gets made. But there's <laughs> the, the biggest part of the puzzle I actually think is this middle portion, which is what you do as a technical designer and a product developer is like, okay, you come up with the idea. That's almost like, okay, that's done. And then the real journey, the real long haul is this portion in between where you're working with the factory, you're making sure the product gets made correctly um, at the right price, that it fits well, um, that the construction is done well, and all these details that go into making it the best product ever so that then it does sell?
1: Oh, it's, it is so involved. You're right. I think people just think, oh, yeah, I just came up with this awesome design and it just happened. It is Sometimes it can take 18 months. I know with outerwear, I started in outerwear, um, ski wear, snowboard, apparel, that sort of thing. And the fabric development, I mean, we'd back it out 18 months because you really needed to from start to finish, because there's just so much that's involved in that. And then that's its own thing. I forgot about, you know, you're working with a fabric manager, or you're sourcing the fabric yourself if you're working at a small company. Yeah. So it's, you just, you need a lot of time. Um, I, I'm just, I'm baffled by the whole fast fashion thing, mm-hmm. I guess, because I'm from the outerwear world. And I'm like, there's nothing fast about it. No.
0: <laughs> it's interesting whenever I talk to to startup designers and people that want to launch their own brand, I'm like, okay, well, you need, especially if you're starting totally from scratch, like we're talking a couple years and people I, I mean, depending on what you want to do, you can work with available fabrics and, and um, trims and stuff, and we won't go down that route. but um, it does take so much longer, than I think anybody, Things. Um, So you just mentioned something, depending on the size of the company you're working with, and I'd love to talk about that a little bit because you've worked with some really major brands like Nike and Adidas and the North Face. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, you also uh, work with some smaller clients, some smaller brands, and maybe even some startups. Is that correct?
1: I've worked with everyone from like one person that has an idea to a like group of investors that are a startup, to yeah, to the North Face, to Columbia Sportswear, it's very different um, worlds, extremely different worlds, um, but yet all the same ending point. Um, it, it's it, I personally enjoy working for sort of somewhere in the middle because I still get to do lots of different tasks and use my um, experience and abilities. Whereas um, for like a larger company, you sort of get siloed into, you know, these are the 10 tasks that you do and that's all you do all the time, all day. And yeah. I think it works well for some people. I know a lot of people love working for the big brands and just doing that because it's, you know, they know what they're, they know what's coming all the time. But for me, it's a little bit too stifling.
0: Yeah. When you, like, what was your first job in the industry? Did you work with a small brand or did you get, um... Did you land a job with a really big name? What was your first exposure to working?
1: I actually did an internship for a company called Helly Hansen. um, And they're mostly, um, they have a presence in the U.S., but they're mostly um, a European brand. They're actually, their headquarters is in Norway, but they do have an office in Seattle. And I started out as doing an internship with them. And that's how I got into the outdoor apparel world. And there, I would call it classify them maybe sort of a middle size, smaller to middle size. And so I had, my boss was actually a pattern maker, and she made flat patterns right there. And I was sort of her assistant, and I was making tech packs and making um, corrections to, uh, I think we had a freelance designer, and she'd give me sketches. And I'd, you know, do really, really simple things like, change stitching or, you know, change a color on something and communicate that to the Hong Kong office. And then we also had a sample sewer who was in, in the office with us. So it was a a sort of a large scale, but also a really small scale shop. It was, it was a really good place to start out, to sort of come out of college with all these grandiose ideas and then go, oh, this is really how it works. (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, and that's interesting. I mean, I I we've chatted before, and I, I know, I think I told you that I worked with a small brand, and I got exposed to so many different aspects of the, the design and product development cycle, and I found that that was tremendously beneficial for my knowledge and career development. Um, instead of, you know, starting out with a really big brand and just doing those 10 tasks over and over, you just... It, depending on what you want to do and what your goals are. But I always recommend to designers, you know, work for a small brand at some point and see how that experience is different than working for a, a really big company.
1: Oh, no, I totally agree. I think I, I, I th- a lot of people sort of, um, I, I've heard this a few times. It's like, well, gosh, you've had a lot of jobs. And I'm like, well, um, the industry, number one, the industry is very dynamic. And I've actually had. People hiring managers tell me if someone's been at a company like 10 years in the same job, they are not really interested in interviewing and hiring them because they feel like they haven't, they've just sort of been doing the same thing over and over again and they haven't really been learning anything new. And I said, well, yeah, that and also I've, you know, I've worked for different size companies because exactly what you said, I wanted to see where I fit because I think it's like anything else in life. There's someone for everyone. Yeah. there's a company or a job for everyone. It's just trying to figure out where you fit in. And, and just for me in particular, it's sort of that mid size company. If I'm going to be an employee yeah. for a company, I actually just love freelance work because it suits me. So <laughs>
0: actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I, that's a really big topic that I want to talk about. Um, and, uh, you, have been freelancing for like 12 years, a very solid amount of time, a very solid Twelve
1: amount of time. years. Yeah. Like 2005, but I've, I kind of, in between that I've been uh, employed okay. for, I worked for a company here in Portland for kind of off and on. Um, I've had a long-term relationship with them. So sort of in between my freelance work and then just freelancing on the side for, yeah. so for other companies. Me,
0: tell me, okay. One of the things that, that I hear a lot is designers say, Oh, I want more freelance work. I want to be a freelancer, but I think they just don't even really know how to get started, um, or how to get more clients. You know, maybe some, someone fell in their lap and they're doing a little bit of freelance work, but like not enough to quit their full-time job. Um, I mean, can you tell us a little bit about like how you really got into the freelancing, some strategies you've used to, um, secure new clients and, and, Keep going for so long in in such a, a competitive and tough industry.
1: It is very tough, and I you know I by no means consider myself to be an expert at it, and I'm actually fairly introverted, so it's been very difficult for me. <laughs> but um, I I'm mostly just word of mouth. I've been really fortunate that um, I happened to I think in 2005 I think my husband had gotten a job in like a smaller town and we moved and there's, there was no apparel companies. There was nowhere to be a, a technical designer. And my, one of my old, um, supervisors had been doing some freelance work herself and would just got too inundated at her job and said, Hey, I, I, I don't have time for this. I know you just, you know, moved and you're looking for a job. How would you like to do this on the side? And I'm like, Oh, that'd be fantastic. Great. So that was my first client. And I just, I've sort of just, Had things fall into my lap from there, um, I just, word of mouth, like someone will say, oh, you did a project for a colleague of mine. Uh, Would you please do 10 tech packs for me? Great. Sure. No problem. Um, And there's, you know, been times, particularly around the market crash 2008 to say 2010, I had very little freelance work. And it was even going out and looking for it and talking to people I knew, they're just, budgets were tight. Um, So it's, it's a, it's a difficult thing. I mean, I'm very fortunate that I have a spouse that has a a steady income, because I, I feel like it would be really difficult to do as, you know, a person just supporting yourself. Yeah. It's not impossible at all, I think, especially somebody that's maybe a little more outgoing than me and Mm -hmm. gregarious personality. But even still, I force myself to go to trade shows. I force myself to go network with people and just keep my name out there. Yeah.
0: Um, Something that that I've had success with, and and I'm curious to know if this is something that's worked for you, that I think you probably are doing and you didn't even realize it, um, was trying to make as many relationships inside of the brands that I work with as possible. Because if I only have one relationship with, let's say, the design director, and then that person gets let go or leaves the company for whatever long list of reasons, then I've all of a sudden lost my connection to that brand, that person that I had that relationship with. And so I always try to get to know other people in the company, especially higher-ups, because then what happens is when people do leave, they go to another brand, and then they bring you on board because you have that relationship with them. But you still have relationships with the people at that first brand. So just trying to um, talk to as many people inside the company as possible
1: Absolutely, and just and talking to people just across the industry. Yeah. Absol- absolutely, it's all about relationships and networking and who you know. Yeah. Um, exactly what you just said. I've seen that happen so many times where somebody like the the head of product development gets let go, and they bring somebody else in, yeah. and that person will over a few years bring in all their favorite people. Mm-hmm. It's and. I I guess I, what I, I told a a junior colleague of mine once, I said, just don't burn a bridge. Yeah. You know, have, be, be just a person that is, um, positive. You know, you don't have to be a doormat, but you also don't want to be the person that everyone goes, Oh, I don't want to work with her she's difficult, she's whiny, she's, you know, misses deadlines. Yeah. Or she's the person that's gossipy or vindictive. And yeah, and she's maybe very, And I've heard this before. Oh, that person's very talented, but whoa, she's a handful and I I just can't deal with her. Mm -hmm. So just, yeah, networking being, yeah, the person that meets deadlines and you're just easy to work with, you're, you know, accommodating to, you know, to a point without being, you don't want to be the doormat either, but there's yeah. sort of this fine line you have to walk, especially in this industry. It's it's actually a very small industry when you get down to it. It is. Um,
0: okay, so speaking of being a doormat, um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about pricing structure, and you don't need to share any numbers, um, and if you're not comfortable um, talking about this, you don't have to answer either, we can cut this part out, but um, do you... How have you strategized your pricing? Do you work hourly? Do you work by project? Does it depend on the client? Um, is that a space you're comfortable kind of oh, talking yeah, about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. No,
1: totally. I'm not, yeah, I'm, I'm totally transparent there. Um, I it, it depends on the client, what they're comfortable with, how, sort of how they're set up. I know a lot of startups, They um, I've worked for a couple of startups, and they said, you know, okay, in the next three months, we have X amount of budget, so, you know, can you work within that budget and tell us how much you can get done for us um we need five tech packs or we need you to help us source you know this that and the other thing and can you go to this trade show and maybe get this done and we'll pay your travel expenses and your hour, hourly rate and just sort of i just have to work in the constraints of who i'm working for I mean, there's some, I've worked for a couple bigger companies and they just, they didn't care. They're like, oh, just keep track of your hours and bill us at the end of the month. And then, you know, I've got somebody that's like maybe um, a couple people that are, they've invested in a brand and then they're very conscious of their budget. And so they say, okay, you can, we really can only pay you for X amount of hours or X amount of dollars a month. Mm -hmm. And so I have to work, sort of work within that. Or I've had a few people where I've said, you know, I just, I can't within your budget, I can't do what you're asking me to do, but I can do, you know, I can do Y instead of X for you if that helps you. And, or, and I can maybe introduce you to somebody that's a little more junior that's trying to get their feet wet and would probably work for less. They're not as experienced as I am, but that's okay in some regards. So yeah, it just depends, depends on the client, depends on what they're looking for.
0: And so then um, I'm going to put you on the pricing spot again, just because you said something that that made me think of. um, So someone junior versus someone senior like yourself and and each of those people having different price points. um, Have you found it tough over the years as you're working with the same clients to, you know, all of a sudden you're like, you know what, my price has got to raise. It's got to increase. How do you handle those situations?
1: You know, honestly, I've never come across that. I've usually worked with enough people that have known me from a job or somewhere else that they don't really like per project. If I say I worked with them five years ago and the price was X, mm-hmm. and now it's Y, they they don't really they've. It's never been an issue. I'm, I guess I'm lucky in that regard. It's kind of I've had such long term relationships with so many people that I've worked with that it just doesn't come up. They understand it's like, okay, now I'm, I'm closing in on 20 years. I've been, been in the business, but yet I still, like I don't know everything. So if I were to maybe be given a project that it's not really my experience, I might say, okay, well, I, not that I won't work for less, but I want to gain some experience in this particular aspect I'll help you out. If you help me out sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, like, like we touched on a little bit earlier, you really focus on being easy to work with, doing a great job, hitting your deadlines. Um, and so at the end of the day, a lot of your clients are like, you know what the price is, what the price is. We know what we're going to get. Gia's amazing. She's just great to work with and they're happy to pay it.
1: I think that's it. And I think just, I think it's a trust factor. I think this is it's such a dynamic industry there's so many people out there um if you go online and you say i need a fashion designer there's all these sites where you can find somebody that will work for next to nothing but they're halfway across the world they don't the person doesn't know them i think it's it's it, that's been that way for me for a lot of things it's like if i want a person to do my accounting a cpa if I've, I've had the same CPA for 15 years, because I know her, I trust her. I know she's looking out for me. And, and I probably maybe pay her more than I could find someone else. Mm-hmm. But I, there's a level of expertise, trust, a relationship that it's worth in dollars, it's worth something to me. And I think maybe that's the way my clients feel. I can't speak for them. But I, I think that might be it.
0: I would imagine that's it. and And just that you just are so great to work with. And you do such an exceptional job. Um, and that's something I talk a lot about is this simple concept of do an exceptional job, double check your work, um, really deliver stuff on a silver platter to your client. It doesn't take that much more work, but most people don't do it. And so by going that extra five, 10%, you really start to stand out. And then you're the one that they're happy to pay your let's say premium prices versus, you know, someone who they could get for less, but maybe they need a little bit more handholding and maybe they have to keep asking them to do the same revision three times because they missed it on the to-do list and stuff like that.
1: Absolutely. I think there's a lot of people that aren't very detail oriented. And that's what you just said. It's like, take, a, take a little bit of time, go over what you just did. To take a look at it with fresh eyes. I know I finished a project a couple of weeks ago and I told my client, you know it's done, but I really want to send it to you in the morning mm-hmm. because I want to look at it again when I've had a good night's sleep and yeah. some coffee and make sure it's what you what you need. And it's you know it I still met the deadline. I just wanted to to take another look at it. And then there's that fine line of letting it go too, because <laughs> I'm sort of the person that's like, oh, I really want to I, I want to look at this a hundred more times, but you just, at some point, you have to let it go, and and that's the fine line as well. It's like doing a great job going above and beyond and then also being able to let go.
0: <laughs> but I think your client appreciates. I mean, I, I work with some freelancers in various um, aspects of, of my businesses, and I know I appreciate when someone tells me, you know what, it's ready tonight at 7 o'clock, but I I, I want to wake up tomorrow and, and have a coffee and look at it. Like I've literally gotten that same email and I am happy to let them have that time. And I'm thrilled that they're doing that for me because I know that they care to make sure it's done right.
1: Exactly. And that's that's the person I want to work with. So I have to be that person. Yeah, that's super valuable. Well.
0: Um, okay, so... For people kind of just starting out in the industry, because um, I know this is something we touched on in a previous conversation you and I had, and you had some really awesome insights. Um, so I'd love for you to share, um, you, you did go to fashion school. Um, sort of. <laughs> what do you mean by sort of?
1: Well, I went to a community college um, just outside of Portland here, and I got a fashion merchandising, a two-year degree. Um, and then I decided that I wanted a four year degree. So I went to our state college and got my four year degree, but I didn't really go to like a, like a fashion school, but it, it was, it was worth definitely worth the experience. Okay. Although I have to say I've learned a lot more on the job than I did in, in college for sure.
0: And you told me about a woman you worked with, um, I forget at, at what company and it's fine if you don't even want to say, but, um, she, you said she was one of the best designers you had ever worked with and how did she get started?
1: Oh, yeah, she was fantastic. She was a sample sewer for Nike, like way, way, way back. And she started out doing that and then I believe she be, like did an apprenticeship with a uh, one of the pattern makers at Nike, who is, I believe is still there. She's like their senior pattern person. Um, and then she went from there and got into design, development and design. I think she was a developer first and then became a designer. And she just, she knew the business from start to finish. She knew the manufacturing. It just you, if you had a question about costing, if something would work, if you could operations of sewing a garment. She just, she knew everything. She, and she was just, I think out of maybe high school and started that. She really never even had a formal design education. She was, she was great.
0: And so she literally got started and, and if I'm not putting words in your mouth or in in her mouth, but, um, she gained so much insight and so much knowledge into, how a product is made, construction, fit, detail, all those things that are really, really crucial by getting her hands dirty, by actually sewing the product. That was her first in in the industry, correct?
1: Absolutely, yeah. That was exactly her first in. And, and I can't, I honestly don't know if she had any schooling, like post high school schooling, like college. But I know for sure she told me many times that that's why she was such a good designer. She just, she knew start to finish whereas on the flip side and I'm I, this is not a knock or a dig on on someone at all but I, I've also known um, younger folks right out of school that went into design and they basically could draw a beautiful picture they could draw a great sketch a flat but they had no idea how to put it together they had no idea that you know this hey this is great if you're you're making one of this, It's a couture product or something, but this is not going to be able to be manufactured 3,000 times. Mm -hmm. It needs to be adjusted. It needs to be finessed. And, you know, you have to think of an order of operations and costing and everything else. And they just, they really just didn't have a grasp of that.
0: Yeah. So, um, something we talked about previously, and I'd love to just kind of touch on again in this same vein is, um... I was watching an interview with Kathleen Fasanella. I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, who has done a lot of um, work in the fashion space for many, many, many years and she owns a factory in New Mexico and one of the things she said was, she said, we cannot find enough people to do the work, to, man- to physically create and manufacture the product. And so you and I were chatting and and for someone who wants to break into the industry but maybe doesn't have the capacity or the means or wants to invest the time to go to school, you know, there's I think there's this whole alternate path of find a local factory here in the US and get a job with them and start from the ground up and get your hands dirty. They are dying for labor. Absolutely.
1: And I think that's all over the country. And yeah, I, I read her article and saw her YouTube video, and she's absolutely right. Um, she, I think she said the same thing I did. It's like, yeah, get started. Be um, work on the line. Be a line sower. Um, they'll train you. Most places will train you. Um, they will promote you if you're really, you know, interested and good at what you do, and you're diligent. And that you're going to learn so much. And again, I'm not knocking a formal education because I'm really glad I went to college. But at some point, it's like I think instead of being in debt for the rest of your life with these gigantic student loans, um, there's an alternative. If you're interested in the industry and you don't have the means and you don't want to take out student loans and, you know, you you just want to get started now and learn there's a a ton, I think, of small domestic factories that are getting more and more business each day. And this would be a great place to learn and be paid for being taught.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I I mean, as we're talking about it, I'm like imagining how this could just blossom someone's career so organically. Because so they get into the factory who is, is literally so hungry for labor. So you get in there, you learn all the ins and outs of manufacturing, all the logistics, all the technical stuff then you're also in front of all the designers and the brands who are sourcing and working with those factories. So then you start building and creating relationships there, which can ultimately lead to more opportunities to maybe freelance with them. And, um, you know, you start learning all these various aspects and then you get introduced to these brands. I mean, it's just, I, I just feel like it could come together so seamlessly.
1: It spirals from yeah. there, definitely. And just, just keep your ears and eyes open and And, you know, listen and volunteer if somebody needs, you know, someone to write their notes while they're doing a fitting, be that person. Volunteer and you start sitting in a fitting and you watch the pattern maker, you watch the designer. It's, yeah, it just spirals from there. I think it's a great way to break into the industry. And I think we, it would be great to have a new generation of people that are taught the skill set that's left us because everything had gone offshore 25 30 years ago and we've sort of lost our our people with those technical abilities. I know I get calls a lot from recruiters saying, "Hey, do you know a pattern maker? A good pattern maker?" I'm like, yeah, I know a couple of them and they're so busy, they would never talk to you. Yeah. They don't have time. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely that that need for um people with sort of the just the hard skill set, sewing, pattern making, production managers, it it's it's there.
0: Yeah. It is. I love that. I love the idea of just kind of getting your hands dirty and, and building from the ground up. It's such an I think a um I don't I don't even know if it's a route many people even think about. Um But I think there's tremendous potential. And then I'll just kind of reiterate and and touch again on one thing you said is the volunteer to do things and say, oh, you're going to do a fitting. Like, can I sit in on that? This, This curious mindset will get you so far by wondering how things are done, by asking questions, by just saying, you know what, can you explain that to me? Or can I help with that? Like, I really want to give this a try. Um, I mean, that's how I really learned on the job um, since my degree was in graphics and I, I started working at a fashion brand. Anybody that would listen to me I and answer my questions, I would just ask them a million questions.
1: Oh, that's the only way to learn. And I, I think a lot of people are afraid. I've seen this before. I've kind of watched people's faces. I think people are afraid to admit they don't know something. Yeah. And, and my sort of my feeling is, is like, you can't know everything. And it's this dynamic industry. I've been in here almost 20 years. And I, I feel like some days I barely know anything, (laughs) you know, and that there's so much more to learn. And it's why I'm still working in the industry. It's like, I, you know, I, I have these, sometimes these fantastical ideas that I'm like, oh, well, I'm gonna, you know, just absolutely learn pattern making and be a master pattern maker, and go work at a A domestic factory because I love pattern making, but I, and I know some of it, I can make a pattern, I can manipulate a pattern, but I'm, I still feel like I'm so much a junior person at that. Yeah. And I've been around it 20 years, but I just haven't, you know, it isn't my sole focus. So I haven't been able to really master like I've wanted to. So there's just, there's so much opportunity. Just open your eyes, see where you fit in. And yeah, find these or these places to, like you said, organically just grow. Yeah.
0: And I love, um, I was actually chatting with a friend last night who um, has been in the industry for, oh gosh, probably 20 years as well. And she said, if I don't know something, I'm happy to say, I don't know. I, I don't know how that works. Or can you tell me about that? I almost think that the older you get, the easier it is to mm-hmm. say that you don't know something to ask a question. And when you're first starting out, um, you can, it can feel really intimidating and you feel like you should know everything, but it's okay to not know stuff. Exactly. That's right.
1: That is, right. <laughs> that is right? exactly right. I, yeah, I finally reached the age probably about five years ago. I was like, <laughs> you know what? You, if you don't like me, that's okay. I mean, here's who I am. It's fine. I, yeah, I don't know. I do not know it. I think someone said the older you get, the more you realize you know nothing at all. And that's basically it. It's like I know some things. I'm really good at some things. But, yeah, I'll admit, absolutely, I'll admit I don't know everything, and, and but I love to learn. Yeah. So that's the point. That's why, you know, it's like I, I enrolled in your uh, flats class the other day because I know so little bits and pieces of Illustrator and I would love to just tie it all together because yeah. I just, you know, ins and outs. I know enough to be dangerous, and I want to wrap it all in a, you know, nice package with a bow. <laughs> yeah,
0: I love that. I love it's so true. The older we get, the more we realize it's okay. I don't. I, there's so much I don't know, and it's okay to ask questions and to not know something. Um. That that should be instilled in us from a very young age, and for some reason, it's not. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I noticed, and I've noticed how I think it is um, maybe an age thing because I've, I've seen the younger folks that I've worked with, they're just, they seem like they have, maybe it's a technology age, it's like because we have the web at our fingertips and you can look up an answer to anything at any point that you just, you feel like you're expected to know everything all the time and mm-hmm. it's like, you just you can't, it's not possible. Yeah.
0: My favorite answer if I don't know something is, you know what, that's a good question. Let me look into it and get back to you later.
1: Absolutely. I I
0: don't have the answer for you right now, but let me figure it out and take it as a challenge to figure out how to do something.
1: And it's an adventure. It's like a detective. I, I, yeah, I was at a fitting the other day and, um, my client was asking me, well, we have a, a men's shirt that fits like this, but then, you know, one of our employees found this other brand's shirt and you know, they they just love the fit more. And uh, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, I don't know, but I certainly can look at those two garments if you'll let me have them for a few days and kind of figure it out. Yeah. And it's a little mystery for me. And I love doing stuff like that. I love trying to figure out. Okay, you've got two men's t-shirts from two different brands. They're both the same size. Why are they different? Mm-hmm. They're same type of, you know, jersey, same weight. Why are they different? Mm-hmm. And then that's another thing I could probably talk for months about is like the sizing in the industry, how different it is across different brands. And it's crazy. Yeah.
0: Awesome, Gia. Okay. I have one last question for you that I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, what is one question that you wish people would ask you about working in fashion, but that no one ever does?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a great question. Um, I, I think most people that aren't really, I, I don't know, that, that, that just see fashion from the completely the outside, they've had no experiences anywhere in the industry, retail or anywhere else. I think they think, like we said earlier in the conversation, that it just, things just happen. <laughs> and gosh, your job is so glamorous and you get to travel and you get to, you know, draw pretty pictures. And I'm like, well, there is, you know, ask me about the, the actual technical aspects of this job. I'm, you know, I think they think it's like, um, you know, you're just this, oh, I love fashion. And, uh, you know, you're, you know, a bubblehead or something. And it's like, no, there is there is so much skill. If you'd ask me about what I actually truly do, there's a lot of skill. And, the, and I've met so many talented people. I've worked with some fantastic people that are so creative and so, such sharp business minds. And I think the, the industry gets a bad rap for that. And I just wish somebody would say, well, no, well, really tell me, what, what is it you do? What is the, the difficulties and the, the challenges in the industry? And it's like, you know, I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to say we do brain surgery or something like that. But there is a skill. And there's a technical aptitude I think you have to have, and not everybody has it.
0: Yeah, and, and being a technical designer, I mean, I, I very much parallel that to an engineer. You're an engineer of clothes, and you have to figure out, I mean, you do a lot of other things, but one of them is figuring out how to make two-dimensional items, you know, fabric, fit on a three-dimensional body.
1: Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> no, it's not. And not with all the, you know, seam lines and different silhouettes and, you know, how much ease do you need? How, you know, you're trying to fit a size medium. Well, who is that? And what does she look like? And wow, there's like so many different people just in this country that consider themselves to be a size medium and they probably are, but their body type and shape and the, you know, width of their shoulders, everything, it's, it's very difficult. Yeah.
0: And no one ever asks about the technical side of the business.
1: (laughs) No, it's just it's all glamorous. It's all what you see, you know, on Project, you know, runway or some show where it's just, oh, you know, these crazy designers that just, you know Frolic in fabric all day. Yeah, oh (laughs) fabric and oh, let me touch this fabric. It's like, yeah, that's part of it and that is awesome. I won't deny that, but it's it's just a small aspect of it. Yeah.
0: Awesome, Gia. This has been so much fun. Um, Can you, is there somewhere people can find you if they want to connect?
1: Sure, you can. I actually um, (laughs) had my technical husband create me a website. Awesome. And it's probably like the year 2000 style website, but it's really basic. Um, It's gcwdesign.com. Awesome, and we'll
0: put that in the show notes.
1: And then I'm on LinkedIn. Um, You can probably Google my name and I might come up every now and then. I don't know. Awesome. I'm, around. I'm around. You can see me at outdoor retailer or magic in Vegas. I'm at all the, I try to go to the regional trade shows and, and talk to people and just see what's going on and what's new. And yeah.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, we will add, uh, the links to your site and LinkedIn in the show notes. Um, thank you so much for your time, Gia. This was really phenomenal to chat and hear a little bit more about what you're working on.
1: Oh, same here. I'm so happy to talk to you. I love to talk about apparel and and technical design and everything else. It's, it's, I enjoy it. I've been doing it for so long. I can't see doing anything else.
0: Thanks for listening to episode seven of the successful fashion designer podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash seven. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show out a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's super easy to do and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help.